If this is your first Sunday morning with us, or if you have been here but have not been part of the last three weeks, at the very beginning of this year, 2016, we have engaged in a sermon series called Discovering Your Gift. And we are looking at what the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts. The ultimate goal is that hopefully, somehow, through the things that I have preached and that we have gone through, the ultimate goal is that you, as God's people, have some more clarity about how you can help build the kingdom, about how your life matters concerning the things of God, and how do you use the gift that you have. So, we had an introduction week, and week number two, we looked at the fact in Romans chapter 12 that God has given each of His children at least one gift, maybe more, and we are going to talk about uh, that here in a couple weeks, the idea of multiple gifts. But He has given each of us a gift that drives us to do something. We call it the gift of action. So when you, when you think about ministry and you think about church and you think about God and you think about how this, this right here needs to go to the world, there's a certain lens that you look through when you think about that, and that is your action gift. And we discussed those in week two. Last week we looked at the ministries or the places of belonging where those gifts can work themselves out. This week I'm going to kind of hit a pause button and we're going to deal with miracles, which are also gifts of the Spirit. We're going to deal with miracles this week. And then next week, we're going to come back and start tying it all together, wrapping up what does your action gift look like, how does it work, and uh, we're going to take all the things that we've been through over the past month and start to to bring them together and, and hopefully provide some clarity. So this morning, we are going to look at the gift of miracles, and I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 4 through 12. I'll ask, would you please stand this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 12 says this, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities. But it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each, each one, for the profit of all. And to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. For as the body is one... And has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Let us pray. Lord, this morning we love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for your spirit in this place. 
God, we thank you that you are a God that changes life. We thank you that you're a God that when you show up, Lord, there is something that happens in our hearts. God, I pray this morning that you would move in our midst. God, we pray that for every man, woman, boy, or girl that's in this place that is not truly saved, that God, if today was the day that they would stand before you, Lord, they would forever be turned away to an eternity in hell, never to know you. Lord, I pray that if that man or that woman, that boy or that girl is here today, that you would open their eyes. God, that they would see their need for you. That in addition to that, they would see how much you love them and how much you want to save them and that you brought them here this very morning so you could deal with their heart and save them. And Lord, I pray they'd be moved to respond. God, I pray for your church. God, that you would help us as we open your word this morning to understand this passage. Help us to understand your divine working, the miraculous moving of God in our era, in our time, how it should look like, how it works. God, I pray now that you would anoint me. God, help me to preach your word in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray, Father, you'd help me to rightly divide the word of truth. I pray that you'd guard my mind and my heart, guard my tongue. God, help me to speak only what you'd have me to speak. Nothing more and nothing less. Have your way. Be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The outline this morning is going to look like this. The first thing I want to do is quickly go through and give a definition of these manifestations of the Spirit. Another word for them would be miracles. I'm going to give a definition of each one. I want to look at next the two main points of view in our culture. They're not the only points of view, but they are the two most common. And we want to look at those and then... We just want to close with a balanced look at what does the Scripture teach about these things. And so, getting started, the first thing I want to define is manifestation. Look at verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit. So the manifestation of the Spirit, it simply means this, if you've never heard the word manifest, all that it means is that we serve a God who is invisible at most times. We know that God has made Himself visible at times. We know that God took on flesh. We know that we, uh, we, we read of the miracles that Jesus performed. So a manifestation is when the invisible God does something in our physical realm that we can see or hear that is, that is provable. And so a manifestation, for example, would be somebody being miraculously healed. I do want to say that I believe that God can and that God does, and we do have some evidence in the Bible of when Jesus... Uh, healed the lepers, for example, and told the lepers to go on their way. And as they went, they were healed. We see some form of progressive healing. But most of the miracles we see, the blind man was made to see like that. That was a provable thing. Everybody around watched it happen. Everybody around said, this man was blind, now he sees. That is a manifestation of the Spirit. It is when the Spirit, which is invisible, we can't reach it, it's not tangible, we can't hear, we can't see, we can't, with all of our natural senses, we cannot experience those things with the Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit is when the Spirit, through us, does something that is physically provable. Okay? And so that's this word manifestation. 
It's a big word. You may not have ever heard it, but that's what it means. Another simple word for it is miracles, when we experience miracles. And here's what it tells us. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for all, for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom. So what is the word of wisdom? One thing that we do need to remember in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that we are talking about <coughs> manifestations of the Spirit. So these are miracles. And so in the context of wisdom here, it doesn't mean that some man is just a wise man or that older uh, elders in the church who have been around and, and do indeed possess wisdom, if their wisdom is solely from experience, which is a very good type of wisdom, it is a much needed wisdom, it is an honorable wisdom, it needs to be in the church, but that's different from the manifestation of the Spirit. The word of wisdom would be when the Spirit of God supernaturally tells somebody great counsel about a situation. It may be concerning a marriage, and, and, and most of the time a supernatural word of wisdom is going to be specific. It's going to be direction from God concerning how to handle an event. You'll find that somebody that has ever functioned in this particular uh, miracle gift, they don't always give the same advice. In other words, somebody might be struggling with a 15-year-old teenage boy, and their question is, my teenage boy is struggling with this thing, what should I do? And it's possible that in that moment, God gives somebody a word of wisdom. And that word of wisdom is, here's how you need to handle this. Here's, this is A, B, and C, and this is what the, I feel the Lord is directing me in answering your question. Same person might come in contact with another person six months later. Same scenario. 15-year-old boy struggling with the same thing, and they feel in their spirit, God's saying, that's not the same advice this time. And so it's not just that we work out of our knowledge, but it is that there is a time and place where God supernaturally gives us wisdom to counsel others. We then see the word of knowledge. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. A word of knowledge, knowledge is simply facts. Knowledge is the supernat the, the word of knowledge is when God gives somebody revelation supernaturally about facts that you would not otherwise know. I'm going to give you an example. Um, and I've, I've heard of, of multitudes of times women, specifically, with their children when their children are young receiving a word of knowledge. They didn't know it was a word of knowledge. They didn't say it was that, and they just thank God for it, but that's exactly what it was here. I've heard of, of mothers that they just had, they knew their child was choking. They just knew. And they were right. And it was at that exact moment. And had they not known at that exact moment, they wouldn't have got out of bed at 2 a.m. and went down and helped. How do they know? It is a supernatural gift of fact at that point in time for that need. I have not many times in my life experienced this particular miracle, but I can tell you one time that I did. I had a woman call me several years ago. She called me on the phone and said, Pastor, I need to talk to somebody that has you know, godly advice and godly counsel. And I'm not exaggerating. That's what she told me. And she said, me and my husband are struggling. We're fighting. And he just doesn't seem to want to serve God. 
And she said, I just want to know how do I be the best Christian wife I can be? How do I handle him? How do I respond when he's this way and this way? And she, I just listened for about 10 minutes. I mean, she told me about the marriage, told me what was going on, told me about the struggles, told me she's wanting counsel. And ultimately, she's just saying that, you know, she wants to do what's right. She wants to know how do I, as a Christian woman, deal with my husband. I'm going to tell you something. I heard God say, as clear as I've ever heard God say anything, word of knowledge, she's having an affair with her husband right now. Now that has, she gave no indicators whatsoever. Here's what I knew though, and I've tried to do my best over the years to learn to function in these gifts. That's not the type of thought that typically just pops in my head. There was not a single thing she had said to indicate that that might be going on. She had, quite the contrary, played the exact opposite. And so I'm going to tell you what I did, because I was confident enough that it was the Lord. I began to question her about it. And within two to three minutes of time, she confessed, yes, I've been in an affair, I've been with another man, and I've been with him several times, and we've been having a relationship for months. It's a word of knowledge that God gave me at that moment and that time that was necessary for that conversation. I'm going to tell you something. That doesn't happen to me all the time. And hopefully, if I don't run out of time, you're going to find out that once you work in a gift, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have it all the time, so don't worry about coming up and talking to me like, oh, he's going to know. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. That's not how miracles work. But that is what the word of knowledge looks like. Next, we see the, to another faith. Faith here is when, when God supernaturally gives us this great spirit of belief that what we vision is going to come to pass. This gift at times, and I, and I want to repeat what I said a couple weeks ago. I don't have it all figured out. I'm doing the best I can to help lay it out and try to provide some clarity. We should have faith in everything we do, but anybody that's been a Christian can probably testify to what I'm about to tell you. Sometimes there's just stuff that all, it's like there's no rhyme or reason to it, but there's this sense of great faith concerning this thing. Whether it's praying for somebody to be healed, whether it's praying for something to happen in somebody's life, whether it's praying for God to move in a certain circumstance, sometimes there's just this this greater empowering of faith that, that empowers us to pray more fervently, believe stronger, and refuse to give up until we receive this thing. And that that gift of faith, that miracle of faith being uh, given to us by the Spirit that is a very real, tangible thing, it's not there in every single thing that we pray about. It's not there in every single thing that we believe about. Even though we should believe, even though we do believe, a lot of times we're like the man who said, God, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Faith is when that like divine, perfect faith is just instituted in the heart of a man or a woman And that area of help me with my unbelief, it's just not there. It's like, I know. I can think of times before when um, concerning healing. And I'm going to deal with healing here in a moment. But I can think of times before when I just, whether I was unspiritual, whether I wasn't right with God, I, I don't know. But I can tell you there just wasn't any sense of this person's getting healed. None whatsoever. I'm praying out of obedience. I'm believing that God hears and, and, I'm, and I'm checking my own heart, and I'm just, but I'm praying God touch and heal this person. 
out of obedience. And then there's been a few times, just a few. I can't explain. I just knew. And it wasn't anything about me. It was no different circumstance whatsoever. I just knew this person, now this is happening. And it happened. And we're going to talk about some of those things here in a little bit when we look at healing. But this miraculous, this manifestation of faith is basically when the Spirit puts within us this total, complete belief concerning any given thing or vision that, that we have that we believe God is going to do. Next we see to another gifts of healing. Well, healing is fairly obvious. It is the ability to serve as, as an instrument through whom God accomplishes acts that manifest supernatural power. So we see that the gospel message, it carries its own authority. Jesus died and rose from the grave. The gospel is the word of God, whether anybody gets healed in this place this morning or not. It has its own authority. But we also see that in the New Testament, often this, the, the miracle of healing helped provide credibility to what the apostles were preaching. Healing is simply when God works through us to heal somebody else. You think about Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 when they were coming to the temple and there was the man who was lame and he asked for silver and gold and they said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give you. In the name of the Lord Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that's exactly what the man did. Think about that statement. What I have, I give you. Peter didn't say, hold on, brother, let me just pray about it for a moment. Lord Jesus, do you want to touch this man? Please heal him, have your way, have your will, amen, and go on his way. Peter boldly said, what I have, I give to you. What did he give? I believe it is this divine working of the Spirit through him. This divine working of the spirit of healing in this moment coming out of him into the man, healing what needed to be healed. And here's the amazing thing about this healing. The whole, it wasn't just that he made his legs work. His muscles worked. I mean, it was a complete, total healing. Everything was made whole and the man went on leaping. We see not only gifts of healing, we see to another the working of miracles. Miracles is a bigger word than simple Simply healing. Uh, surely healing is considered a miracle. But here we see, again, the idea of God working through somebody to accomplish acts that manifest supernatural power. A um, couple of examples that just come to my mind. We'll look at Old Testament examples. Jesus turned water into wine. That's a New Testament example. Jesus walked on water. That's a New Testament example. Old Testament example, we see um, you know, the priest strike the water and the water splits. And so, those are three examples with water. I guess there's a lot of miracles with water. <laughs> but it's still a supernatural work that takes place in a physical realm by God. And so, then we see prophecy is also listed here. Um, prophecy I dealt with earlier in both sermons. The only thing I'm going to say here is that I do think prophecy here in the context of this passage, the idea of supernatural prophecy is a little bit more specific than simply the, the uh, motivational gift to hear from God and relay the Word of God to people. 
This here is when uh, uh, God would specifically speak to somebody about a, an event. And a very, you know, I, I, in the very first introductory sermon I talked about, my experience when I was looking at taking a church that I wasn't supposed to take, right? And I, and I shared that experience of uh, that man that just revealed to me what was going on. If you weren't here, you need to listen to that. I'm not going to tell the whole story again because it takes time. But that's a great example of this gift, the miracle gift of prophecy happening in that particular time. Next, we see the distinguishing or discerning of spirits. This is considered a miracle, uh, a uh, manifestation of the spirit. This is the ability to discern the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. With this gift, one may distinguish reality versus counterfeits, the divine versus the demonic, true versus false teaching, and in some cases, spiritual versus carnal motives. The distinguishing or discerning of spirits is when God supernaturally allows us at times to have discernment we would not otherwise have. This isn't just the ability to read people. That's not what this is. This is a supernatural thing. Um, I can tell you one example, just one that I can really think of um, that I can share, anyways, where this happened, and we, it was nine years ago, maybe more than that. We were still. It'd been about nine years ago. Uh, we were still using the metal chairs, and we were running about 60 to 70 people, and new families showed up, and they were here, and they came for two or three weeks, and uh, very friendly people, seemed like very nice people, and on week three or week four, the, uh, the, the gentleman, the husband came up, talked to me, and just said, listen, we, we are excited about this ministry, we believe in this ministry, and we think that this is where we're supposed to be. We are here to serve. We want to be part of this body, whether it's helping tear down chairs and set up chairs, whatever you need, we are here to help. And all I can tell you is God in that moment gave me a spirit of discernment. It was like I could see straight into the man. And here's what I knew. I just knew. God didn't necessarily say anything. I just knew this is discernment. This guy's going to be big trouble, and you need to be very careful about how you, who you let him get close to. Long story short, he was a nightmare. He ended up trying to convince me I knew nothing about leadership and that our entire leadership plan was worthless. He wrote me several nasty emails about how can you even continue to do what you do as a church when you know it's so flawed and you're working with methods that don't work. One day I was done preaching and he stood right back there at those doors and waited for me to get out he, as I'm getting ready to leave. He said, Preacher, do you know the difference between you and a good surgeon? I said, what's that? He said, a good surgeon doesn't cut people open and leave them there to bleed to death. That's what this man told me that came up and said, we're just here to serve. We're just here to help any way that we can. How would I know in that moment this spirit of, you better watch, it was just discernment. That's an example of this manifestation of the discerning of spirits, and, and that's one example. Like I said, 
I think there's different shades. We talked about it last week. It's not just blue or red. I think there's different shades of discernment. I think this, I absolutely believe this also references uh, demonic possession and that type of thing as well. But the point is, it is this discernment of spirits that is a supernatural gift of the spirit. Next, we see uh, different kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretations of tongues. Here's what I want to say this morning about tongues. Um, First of all, a brief brief definition of it is obviously the speaking of something other than their native language. There's no confusion about that whatsoever. And that tongues is a difficult topic. It is such a difficult topic that I'm going to cover it tonight in full. I'm going to do a whole sermon tonight on what people call the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. The reason I'm doing an entire sermon on it is because it's not simple enough to finish in a five-minute point. And I want to deal with it thoroughly, and you're going to find out, if you care to come, if you care to listen, why we're not Pentecostal. You're going to find out why we're not Baptist. But here we see tongues listed as a manifestation of the Spirit. We see in Acts chapter 2, for example, tongues was used, and it tells us that they all spoke in tongues, and it also says that they all heard in their own language. And so in Acts chapter 2, not only did we have the miracle of speaking in tongues, we had the miracle of hearing in their own language. That's what it tells us. It's not like Peter spoke in Greek, James spoke in Aramaic, so-and-so spoke in this language, so-and-so spoke in Spanish, and all the Spanish people were over here, all the Greek people were over here, and they figured out, oh, Hey, Peter, you're actually speaking Greek. You're supposed to speak to these people. That's not how it worked. It just tells us they all spoke in tongues, and it says they all heard in their own language. And that was the miracle, it seems to be, when we read the text, primarily for the purpose of communicating the gospel in a way that others around them who couldn't understand their language, everybody could hear it. We also see Paul's talk in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about when I speak to God. When I speak in tongues, I speak to God. So, what is speaking to God? That's prayer. And these are things we're going to look at tonight. It is a miracle gift listed here, speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. If you care to know more about that, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, I'm going to teach entirely on it. Obviously, I thought it was important enough go ahead and teach on. I didn't think it was important enough to deal with on a Sunday morning, so that kind of tells you like where I'm at in all of it. Uh, But I encourage you to come back tonight if you want to know what does the Bible teach. We're going to look at every passage that ever mentions tongues, and we're going to look at how does this group believe this thing? How does this group believe this thing? Is there merit in both? How does all this work? We're We're going to tread that water tonight. So these are listed here as miracles or manifestations of the Spirit. Now here's the question at hand. Do these gifts still exist? That's the question. Should we expect these things to happen here at Crossway Church? Should we expect these things to happen in all the churches around the world? I'm going to give you the first two common points of view. Number one, the very common point of view that no, these should not happen. This viewpoint tends to teach 
that all of these miracles were for the purpose of validating the apostles. And that in order for the apostles to be able to go out and preach the word of God and say, we speak the truth, they had to be able to do these miracles to prove that God was with them. And once they had finally got all the doctrine laid down they needed to teach, and they had penned the New Testament, at that time the gifts were no longer needed, since in that view, the primary reason they were needed was to validate the apostles. They believe that now that the New Testament's finished, that there's no more need for these. That is a common view by about 50% of the church. Now, there are, pro- there are several problems with this point of view. Number one, Scripture doesn't tell us that they were going to cease. And so that view is from outside of Scripture. They will point to things, for example, there are a couple of passages that talks about the Apostle Paul being validated as an apostle because he worked the works of an apostle, and that was a reference to the miracles that he did. Here's the problem with that. While that is true, it certainly validates Paul as an apostle. It does not lead to the conclusion that nobody else is supposed to do it, and that once Paul died, nobody else could do it either. The conclusion does not lead or have to lead that way. Scripture does not tell us that the gifts, these manifestations of the Spirit, miracles, nowhere does the Bible tell us that they would cease. And it's a dangerous thing to add or take away from the Word of God. Secondly, another problem with this particular point of view is that Paul teaches the Corinthians that these gifts were for their church. I mean, if Paul and all the apostles really believed what so many are telling us today, that the gifts were only for them, why didn't Paul just write like a quick two paragraphs to the Corinthian church? Say, listen, guys, we all know you're not really doing those things because those are for us. That would have settled it. But that is not what he did at all. He wrote to them about these gifts and their use of these gifts. Now that's pretty significant because Paul is writing letters to the church about how it's supposed to operate then and for years and years to come. So that has to be considered. How is it possible that if these apostles actually believed they were the only ones meant to work in these types of things, why would Paul tell the church in Corinth, here's how these things work, here's how they act, here's how they're supposed to happen? He also tells the church, if you look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5, he talks about the Spirit working miracles through them, the church in Galatia. Much of this view, another common problem with this view, is that much of this view is rooted in lifelong experience. And so many people's lifelong experiences, and I am not mocking this experience, I'm just teaching this morning accurately. Many people's lifelong experiences, I've been a Christian all my life, and I believe in God, and I know that I'm saved, and I know I'm going to heaven, and I read the Bible, and I've never seen any miracles like this, and so if God wanted to do them, God would, and so they probably shouldn't happen anymore. And all the churches that I know, and that I associate with, 
will say the same thing. I want to say that lifelong experience of Christians must be considered. It's foolishness if we know somebody has lived their entire life as a Christian and we are not willing to at least consider their experience. That said, experience all by itself is never enough to trump the Word of God. And so we must ask, is the experience wrong? We must be careful, not only in forming our theology, but in our own personal lives, not to determine everything we believe about God based upon our own personal experience. Because before each of us were saved, our own personal experience was God wasn't real. That's what you believed, or that the God of the Bible, anyways, might not have been the only God, and you've got all these things swirling around in your head, but you're not really safe. Because your experience, to that stage in your life anyways, had lied to you. And it's possible the same thing could happen concerning the idea of miracles. The general conclusion of this point of view is that we should not expect these types of miracles to occur in the church, that if God wants to, He can. Because He is God and He can do anything He wants. But we shouldn't expect God to do these things, and we should just be satisfied with being saved. Some churches are actually proud that this is their point of view, and that blows my mind. I mean, What I just read, there are churches, that is their statement. And they're proud of that. I'm not. Here's the next point of view. Common point of view number two. These gifts do still happen, and that with the right faith, they will happen. There are seven problem, several problems with this point of view. First, in most circles that believe this, there is an extra rule that has to be added. M- most people who tend to believe this idea that Yes, these gifts work, but you've got to have the right faith, and you've got to do it the right way, and then it will always produce a certain result. These people also often believe that one has to be baptized by the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues before they will ever be empowered to witness any other manifestations of the Spirit. These people typically view speaking in tongues, they'll even use this term sometimes, as the gateway gift into the rest of the gifts. Let me be clear. It's not what the Bible says. We're going to deal with it tonight much more thoroughly, but that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's one of the problems with this particular view. There is a disproportionate emphasis on the faith of the person to bring about the manifestation. So, right, if you just have enough faith, you believe the right thing, say it the right way, it happens every single time, and then what happens if it doesn't happen? Well, you just must not have faith. This is a dangerous point of view. This is a very dangerous point of view. It also tends to make a formula for miracles, which is actually the opposite of faith in God because it becomes the faith in a formula. And see, that's what we want. I mean... We have to fight that off, and you, trust me, I'm not going to give it to you. That's what we want. Wouldn't you like it if Pastor Joplin could just say, 
here's the formula. Do this thing, this thing, and this thing, and miracles will always occur. We want that because it makes it easy and it eliminates this area of, of real faith in God and just trying to take each situation by itself. But anytime we have faith in a formula, all of a sudden we've lost faith really in God. The general conclusion of this common point of view is that miracles should happen, but don't because people haven't spoken tongues yet or their faith is the problem. Now I want to go through what I'm going to call a balanced view of miracles. First of all, yes, these miracles do still happen, but not always in the context of our great faith or us getting it right. So some ask the question, then why don't we see miracles happen? For starters, we do see them happen. Let's not say, don't go there and say we don't see them happen. Yes, we do. We've seen several of them happen here in, a, in all intensive purposes in a tiny congregation. Worldwide, miracles are happening every day. Now, we also want to say that the Bible here teaches that these miracles happen, and nowhere does the Bible ever teach that they won't happen until that which is perfect has come. And brothers and sisters, we can all look around the world and see that which is perfect has not come. And that is a reference to the second coming of Christ. So let's ask the question then, why don't we see them as often as what we see here? That's the real question at hand. For one, we have been taught not to believe. We have been taught not to expect them. And this is a really big problem because all of God's promises are received by faith. For those of you that were here in week one, I gave that testimony about that man that, that just spoke a, a prophetic word into my life. One of the things that, came away, that, that, that I came away with from that meeting was this. I don't even know, you know about miracles and stuff and what just happened to me there. I was confused, but here's one thing I knew. If indeed these things were real, they could never happen through me because I didn't believe. I had no anticipation of them happening. I did not believe God for them to, to work. And any, I, I was even taught, you might think this is nuts. Some of you won't because you've come from similar circles. I was even taught to consider that these things happen is sort of demonic and that if they did happen, it's probably demons doing it, trying to convince people they're God. I was told that trash. I sort of embraced that for a while. And I realized that even if God does work miracles, He's not going to work them through these hands. Because I don't have any faith whatsoever that God does this stuff. And God is not some cosmic rapist that forces us to be saved against our will, and nor is God some cosmic rapist that forces us to let Him work through us and pray in faith and pray for people to be healed and believe God for a word of wisdom. God is not going to force Himself upon any of us. He's a gentleman. And I had said, God, that is not welcome in my life. You're out. And God sat there patiently like a loving father and let me act like a child until I began to mature in my faith. And so a big part of the problem is we have been taught not to believe, many of us, 
in the moving of these types of miracles. We have been taught that they shouldn't be expected, that they were really only for time and purpose. And then here's always the caveat that that group of people leaves so that they're not saying God can't work. They say this. I mean, God can because he's God. He can do anything he wants to. I mean, God, if you want to, you do it. But we know he doesn't work that way anymore, so we don't expect those things. And we've just learned to be satisfied with salvation. That's a cute answer if it's true. But if God has said that he has given us the spirit and he has empowered us to do his work, God is not pleased with that answer and God is not up there saying, why, thank you very much, children. Jesus died to save us, make no mistake about it. But he also ascended to heaven, Acts chapter 2 tells us, that he might pour the spirit out upon us and empower us to be his witnesses. And refusing to acknowledge that and refusing to sincerely believe that and refusing to sincerely operate in that is not pleasing to God and it's not a cute answer. Now you're starting to see how I feel about it. Imagine if we handled salvation the same way. And this is what you'll find why the same pocket of people that I'm referencing, a lot of times they do a good job getting people saved. Because they don't have the same view with salvation. They actually believe God wants to save people. And no matter how they're living, they're not afraid to say, God wants to save you, and they believe it with conviction, and they're right. Imagine if we handled salvation the same way we do these manifestations of the Spirit concerning salvation. Well, God may or may not want to save me. I guess if He wants to, He can. God, if you want to save me, go ahead. My guess is that of a billion people that prayed that prayer, not one of them would really get saved. That's not a prayer of faith. That's not a turning to God in true, total, humble dependence to work His miracle-working power and wash your black heart away and make it white as snow, to wash your sins and make you cleansed in His sight. Now, can we be honest? That's often, though, how we handle this issue of healing and miracles and the move of God. Because we're not convinced, the same way we are about salvation, that God indeed wants to do these things. And our view and what we've been taught will greatly affect our faith and our willingness to pray in fervency for a move of God concerning these things. Next, another reason that we might not see these as frequently, we don't live our lives in consecration and holiness like they did. The church has become a place, in so many ways, of absolute disgusting filth. People who call themselves Christians are just having sex whenever they want to with whoever they want to. Fornicating, that's what the Bible calls fornicating. If you know what fornicating is, that's what the Bible calls about it. And it does say no fornicators will inherit the kingdom of God. You need to know that. I didn't write it. It might make you mad that I said it, but God said it, and I'm telling you what it says. Fornicating is simply sex outside of marriage. Man, it's quiet in here. That's what it is. If you're a fornicator, you're going to hell. You need to repent of that sin and all your sin. Turn your life to God. Pretty simple. We have homosexuals now being ordained as pastors. We have multitudes of people calling themselves Christians that regularly drink to drunkenness, they're getting high on pot, they're abusing drugs, and and in a great capacity, 
holiness is just poof, thrown out the window. Let me, let's look at, uh, I'm going to run a wee bit, just 10 minutes long today. Look at he, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. We need to know why, what are some of the reasons we might not be seeing these types of things in our life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 14. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. See, we despise chastening at all, even if it comes from God this day. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which you have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but He for our profit. See, God chastens us. He disciplines us. Now listen to what it says. That we may be partakers of His holiness. God has called us to holiness. That word, for some devilish reason, has become a cuss word in many Christian circles of our day and age. We try to equate it with legalism. If there's any level of, listen, you need to live holy and you need to repent of sin and you need to be honest about who you say you are and you, you need to be sincere in the depth of your heart that you're serving God with all of your fiber and all of your being, all of a sudden this judgment word's thrown out, right? Judge not, lest you be not judged. God calls us to holiness. Now look what this says. <clears throat> now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore... Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that which is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people. Now look at this word. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We got people that refuse to live holy lives living in sin, fornicating, drinking, partying, cussing like sailors, gossiping, having hatred in their heart, whatever their sin may be, and then they, want, and then they expect God to do something great on their head. They want to see God move, want to see God move, want to see God move. God, I want you to move in this thing. want to see God move in this thing. And they don't see God do anything because without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Now this absolutely has a reference, I want to acknowledge it, this absolutely has a reference to our spiritual standing, the, 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 the holiness of Christ imparted to us, and our reference to, to seeing God in heaven. I want to acknowledge that. But I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, the principle applies that we cannot live unholy lives, we cannot refuse the, the disciplining hand of God and expect to see God work great miracles through us as a group of people. So that's one reason, especially in this culture, we might not see miracles in the same uh, frequency we did in the first century church. Next, we've been scared of these things by charlatans 
who have exploited people for their own gain by faking these gifts. And there's this great terror of being associated with anybody that believes that thing. We've seen people, faith healers, right? Millions of viewers, somebody out there, your knee hurts. And right now, that knee is getting better. Come on. I'll be careful about that. That's how I feel about it. But we've seen people exploit this. We've seen everybody come to the stage, right? I'm going to touch you on the head. You're going to get knocked over. Man, I've watched so many people get knocked out before. I watched a woman one time get knocked out in the spirit, fall down, her shirt came up, she looked around, <laughs> put it back down, went back out. Come on. Come on. And so there, we've seen charlatans come on the stage and exploit some of this stuff. And our instinct is get away from it, get away from it, get away from it. But listen to me, brothers and sisters of Christ. We cannot let the devil win that way. We cannot do that. We cannot say because somebody came in as a counterfeit and made a mess of things that we're going to be so far away from this that we could never be mistaken looking the same way. That If we do that, then the devil wins every time. What if we took that same mentality with pastoring because uh, so many pastors have been busted doing bad things and so we're no longer going to have pastors? What? Just because somebody has come in, and that's what the devil is. He's a liar. He's a counterfeit. What we need to do is rather have the spirit of discernment again in the pulpits, the spirit of discernment again in the people, call people out for what they are, be willing to stand up when something's not right, and be willing to stand up and say, but there is a God who still heals, there is a God who does miracles, there is a God who is active and alive in our, in our lives. Another reason that we don't see the, and I'm very close to closing, another reason that we don't see these things happen is we tend to see these gifts as something that someone has, or does not have. And these gifts, I want to submit to you, and here's what I want you to see this morning. I want to submit to you, these gifts don't work that way. Look at this term in verse 7. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now look at verse 11. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, as He wills. These manifestations, I believe, and I'm going to put that big, I believe, the Bible teaches us that these particular things aren't the same thing as the motivational gift, that once God's given you the, this motivational gift, you function by that. These happen through each of us at various different times. In other words, I don't think there's really somebody that possesses purely the gift of healing. Now, I think they might operate in that gift, and then faith arises in them because they know that God does, and so we see healing work through that person more often. But I don't think that's necessarily the way it's supposed to work. In other words, I don't think that you know John Smith is the person in the church that has the gift of healing, and so every time somebody's sick, we call John Smith, say, hey, John, can you please come down here and uh, use your gift to heal this person? I don't think that's the way it works. I think the gift of healing could work to me, could work to you, could work to your neighbor, could work to the person in front, work to the person behind you, and it might work, you know, we might be 
Uh, it, it might be through you and a person at your workplace that you're willing to stop and pray for. You might pray, uh, you know, as, as a group of believers. Sometimes the gift of healing might flow through you. Sometimes it might flow through somebody else. But I believe we can all function in these gifts. Same thing with the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. You begin to look at these gifts, and you look at tongues, for example, which is something that we'll look at tonight. If you look at it in the context of speaking to, possibly, proclaiming the gospel to a group of people that speak a different language, you're going to need that gift if you're in a place where that's usable. You're not going to be able to call and call the brother in the church that has the gift of speaking to tongues. Say, hey, man, I'm down in Honduras speaking to people in Spanish. Can you please get on the phone and preach to them? I don't think it works that way. And when we begin to see these things as gifts you have or don't have, oh, I don't have the gift of healing. It's not necessarily a gift to possess. The Spirit has the gift of healing. And the Spirit is in me. And so the Spirit, who works all these things, distributing to each one as He wills, might very so choose to use the manifestation of healing through me or you. And just because it works through me or you, doesn't mean that we possess this divine gift that now we can go around and heal everybody that we want. And so these particular manifestations of the Spirit, I believe the Bible teaches us that as Christians, we should expect these things to happen, and we should be open to the possibility of God doing these types of things through us as a body of believers. And then the final thing, why might we not see some of these things? I've looked at all of these things negative as far as how we might be stopping the moving of, the, of these things in our lives. But let's look at this word, as he wills. The Spirit has a big role to play in this. And I want to be very careful and not give us the freedom to blame everything that doesn't happen on God. I've already dealt with that. But it's not just what we think needs to happen and our faith, if our faith is right, and we get all these things correct, that we can go around and, and, and see these things manifested how we think they should be manifested. It happens as the Spirit wills. God knows every situation better than we do. Not every solution that we think should come to pass is God's solution. Consider Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus was Jesus' closest friend outside of the group of disciples. And they send word to Jesus that Lazarus is really sick. And Jesus just stays where he's at for two more days. And then Lazarus dies. None of us would have figured it that way. Every single one of us, if we were thinking for the miraculous solution to Lazarus's situation, pretty easy. Healing. That's it. I would do it. I would fix it. God would be glorified, wouldn't he? Would God be glorified through that? He sure would. Nobody could do that but God. God would get the glory for every one of us. That's our solution. God says, no, I have a bigger plan. And actually, this sickness is going to end up in his death for the glory of God so that I can raise him back up. Some of the struggles and stuff that we have been through in life, God uses. We see also that not only does God know the situations better than we do, 
we see a situation where Paul, I'll close with these two, two verses and I'm done. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, we find that Paul was so sick that he was unable to travel where he wanted to go. But because he was unable to go, he had to stay in Galatia for a while and preach to them the gospel. Now this is Paul who raised a boy from the dead. Remember the boy that fell asleep when Paul was preaching, fell out the window? Paul went down raising from the dead. It's a great sermon about not sleeping in church. <laughs> and I'm telling you something. Don't trust that I've got the same power Paul does. You die, you're probably dead. This is Paul who raised the boy from the dead. This is Paul who sent out handkerchiefs that cast demons that, that put underneath of you know people's pillows would, would cast demons out of them and would heal the sick. That's who we're talking about. Man, Paul, why didn't you keep one of those handkerchiefs for yourself, dude? It doesn't work that way. See what I'm saying? And if Paul himself was sick, none of us in our right mind could conclude any of these things. We couldn't conclude that Paul didn't have faith. We couldn't conclude that Paul wasn't able. We couldn't conclude that Paul didn't believe in miracles. We couldn't conclude that Paul or none of his team around him possessed the gift of healing. And yet in this situation, Paul just dealt with sickness like the rest of us deal with sickness most of our lives. I don't have the answer. We also see in Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 27, that one of Paul's closest companions, Epaphroditus, was so sick, this is what Paul said, almost to death. Well, you think Paul was just too busy to pray? You think Paul just thought, oh, well, I really need to get over there and pray for Epaphroditus, but I have got too much going on. He prayed for the man. We'd be ludicrous to think anything other. I don't know why he didn't get healed. Neither do you. But it doesn't mean that God didn't work through Paul other times and that God didn't work through Paul after that. I don't understand the way... I just don't. I, I don't. I don't understand why and how, and none of us ever will, why and how God does everything that God does. This morning as our worship team comes, here's the conclusion. Here's the conclusion. Guys, God does still work miracles. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And there is no great formula, but we must honestly look inward and ask ourselves, God, am I willing to let you work in such a way? You'd be surprised right now how many people would stand up, Christians, would stand up and say, you know what, there has been a time where I felt led to get up and go pray for this sister, but I didn't want to look stupid. You don't have to know how many times, Pastor, how many times I felt like taking my shoes off, but I just didn't want to look stupid. Pastor, you have no, many time, have no, no idea how many times I wanted to ask somebody to pray for me again, but I'd already asked everybody to pray for me once. I didn't, I didn't want to just keep asking you guys to pray for me. Well, Elijah had to pray for the boy three times before he raised him back to dead. And then he had to pray seven times for rain. And then in James chapter 5, it says Elijah was a man just like us. Yet he prayed. Jesus said in 
Luke chapter 18, that the woman asked the judge over and over and over and over and over again for the same thing. And eventually the judge gave her the request. He said, in the same way, you ought to pray to your father. You'd be surprised the number of people that raise up their hand and say, there's been times I felt I had a word of knowledge. I felt I had a word of wisdom. I felt I had something to say, but it just didn't. I was afraid to speak. I was afraid to use it. I was afraid to go over and ask that person if I could pray for him. I was afraid. And it's not that God's not actually trying to work these things in us. It's just we've been taught it doesn't really work that way anymore. And so we're just going to sit here and listen to the preacher preach. My prayer this morning is that we as individuals are willing to honestly contemplate these things. Number one, what does the Word of God actually teach? Is there anywhere in this book that we have staked our lives upon that leads us to believe God doesn't still work miracles? I think an honest look will tell you, no, there's not. So then we must, number two, look at ourselves and say, God, is there anything in me that would hinder your working? Number three, God, I'm willing to yield to you. And I just want to be sensitive to you. I just want to be led by you. God, I just want you to have your way in your church and in my life. No matter what it looks like. This morning, if you're here and you're lost, and God's dealing with your heart, and the first thing you need to do is be saved. This is your day. I encourage you to be willing. When they sing a song of invitation, to get up out of your seat, make your way to an altar, Cry out to God, turn your life to Him, turn from your sin, turn from your fornication, turn from your anger, turn from your bitterness, turn from your unforgiveness, turn from your wickedness, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I promise you this this morning, if you will do that with all of your heart, God will meet you right here and transform your life. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. I pray that I said what you'd have me to say. All of it. God, I pray for us. God, help us to hear. I pray, God, is on the day of Pentecost for that gift of hearing where everybody heard it the way you wanted them to hear it, Lord. God, this morning we come to you and we respond. I come, Lord, as, as pastor of this church, Lord, and this morning I ask God as a pastor of this church, Lord, God, that you'd help us to be a people that do not get so rooted in tradition, what we think a service is supposed to look like, what a sermon is supposed to sound like, what worship is supposed to be, what church is supposed to function like. God, let us not be so rooted in that that we quench the moving of the Spirit in our own lives, that we stop the body from actually being the body. God, I pray for faith to arise in our hearts that You are the same God You've always been, that You have not changed, that Your desires have not changed, that Your desire to be lifted up and exalted has not changed, that Your desire to heal has not changed, that Your desire to save has not changed, that your desire to give wisdom and instruction and knowledge has not changed. That your desire to work miracles amongst your people has not changed. God, I pray, Father, for that faith to arise in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Lord, move all across this room.